I wanted to acknowledge the variety of our, org of our audience, our congregation, which is uh, obvious, but sometimes it's nice to uh, mention something of the family. And uh, this Mass is being offered for Tzam Maliazzi. And I had his daughter's wedding, but it was over my head that uh, that was the Tzam Maliazzi of Tzam and Ray on Car Talk. Are you with me? I mean, you knew I was stupid, but now I went and proved it. And so then they came back, his daughter Lydia came back to the, uh, here for her daughter's baptism. And uh, they were up here all in the, getting a picture of everyone. There were two guys on either side cracking jokes that were magnificent and still solid rock. It didn't, didn't strike me yet. And then I got over to Davio's for the lunch. They were kind enough to invite me to the lunch. And uh, they sat me down with their parents. So that would be the baby's great-grandparents. And I started to tell a riddle from Car Talk, which I'll tell you when we get outside. I used it at Brattle Square when they dedicated that plaque to Tom Maliazzi there. And um, anyway, uh, I got there and I, I told them the riddle from Car Talk. And Tom and Ray's mother said to me, well, you know the two guys on that show? And I said, yeah, Tom and Ray. I said to myself, do you think I'm an idiot? And uh, so she said, well, that was Tom, that was Ray. And I thought to myself, I am an idiot. Now, one of the problems with homilies, they're always telling you things you knew already. So I apologize for wasting your time. But sometimes they're helpful just to renew things you've forgotten. And one of them is we're all different in different ways. And that variety is the spice of life. And if we just had the Feast of For All Saints, we had that marvelous thanks to our choir and our organist, our choir director, that marvelous song by Rayfon Williams for all the saints. To put it, if you're from MIT and preferred numbers, I'm talking about 299. Uh, that how rousing it reminds us of all the people in our lives. And I ask you, I beg you, to give yourself permission to think of your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and your cousins. And how different they are, but they all have permission from God, the Holy Spirit, to be different, and so do you. There was, a, uh, there was a cashier in a supermarket in Cambridge, uh, and uh, she had a, uh, a grad student there with 25 items on the belt, and she asked him, do you go to Harvard or MIT? And he was kind of full of himself and said, well, what business is that of yours? She pointed up to the side which said, limit six items. I was just trying to figure out whether you couldn't count or you couldn't read. <laughs> now, we are all different in different ways. There are, however, people who take advantage of us. That marvelous, famous novelist, uh, perhaps I'm pushing Philadelphia too much, Agnes Replier from earlier in the last century, had a line to say that those who take the most obvious absurdities as truths impede civilization in the rest of us. And I've always found it true, and I imagine you have as well. And I imagine you have as well. And so it can happen, for instance, that a tyrant being patently obvious in not making the government work or this culture work in his place picks a fight somewhere else and picks scapegoats or people in our own land or any other land through history. The Nazis illustrated to the common, but hopefully we've noticed the problem elsewhere and the sadness of it to obviate it ever again. They make scapegoats of people who are different and on and on. And so the second book of Maccabees, the seventh chapter shows us horrifically how the Jews were made scapegoats, how the Jews were tortured and harmed 
and would that that were the only time it happened, but I would lie about the 20th century or even now if I said that weren't true. And how we must all oppose that or any prejudice to any group, obviously. But it does tell us of the unfairness of life. Unfairness from God, no. All that God made was good. God calls us to love and to kindness and patience and gentleness and peace. But the hatred of people that cultivated and they could always find patsies to put up with it. But none of us have a permission to be a patsy. We each were given reason by the angels of the assembly line when we were made. And we're all required to use it and take it out of practice using our conscience because it's the only way to make a better world. And so then too in our gospel today, the 20th chapter of Luke, Peace Sadducees asking a question, but not in terms of learning, but only in their own interest, ulterior motive to, to get, make fun of Christ and to miss the point, to miss the point stunningly, the irony that there is truth itself, the word of God speaking copiously and to stop up ears and not listen and instead to play games to play games, to play games against the truth, against justice alone. But it gives us an example to think with, as does the first reading. The injustice in the world, as we think of Maccabees, as we think of bombs raining from the sky in Ukraine, God forbid. And it gives us the chance to think of the sadness and injustice people know in their own lives when things don't work out the way they had hoped to. So one thinks of people losing a child, God forbid, or not being able to have the family they want, and on and on. And so it makes us open to the difficulties of life, the seeming shipwreck that original sin trails into the world, and to which through our baptism we're called to, world we're called to recreate, and to remedy and to build anew, by the grace of God and by our collaboration as well. And so I wanted to suggest for your use, if I may, not the first reading and not the third, but the second reading from the second book, letter to the Thessalonians, and I think it's the second chapter and the, uh, I think it's the second chapter and is it the, the, the 16th verse. So it's 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Because amidst all of life's troubles, we need a foundation to hold us up above the mayhem. We need a foundation, and frankly that foundation, amidst all that, we need faith. And amidst so many things that seem hopeless, for so many people as good Pope Francis often talks about on the margins, those excluded. He's not talking about people in the exclusive suburbs, he's talking about people sort of with the more continental idea that everybody with money lives in the city and everybody else outside on the margins, on the periphery. The people in trouble who don't have the money don't have the chance, don't have the opportunity. We, as they, need hope. And then last of all, rather than giving up, rather than giving up at the difficulty of things, the unfairness of things, its injustice, the troubles we've had in our own lives, and using that as an excuse to give up on life and give up on recreating the world, to do the precise opposite, and to live our lives with love, our whole lives through. Our whole lives through. Our whole lives through.
And so the reading, just one verse I'd like to quote today, 2 Thessalonians 2.16, is in three parts. And first it says, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us. We can't feel unloved anymore. And that love, that great gift of God that he gave his only son for us in the midst of this mayhem, that the sun chance to come in amidst the turmoil we created to set things aright, that remarkable courageous gift to become part of the gift, part of the courage, part of the love, to set the world aright, to overcome the shipwreck, to recover the people drowning from out of the sea and onto a land for living. And then it continues, and who has given us everlasting encouragement and good hope through his grace. I talked to many people and they mentioned people that they've had as mentors. There was a tutor on my uh, entry in the old days before we've rationalized things to one story. In the, in the dorms, they used to have an entry, a stairwell. And there was a tutor on my entry and he invited people to go to mass. And I did and we did and that made the difference for all of us want to mass ever then and do ever since. In a place where you don't know who's where and what, it takes a bit of courage. But in those lives, it made all the difference in the world. When I had the five o'clock mass, we call up the people, the candidates for uh, entrance into full communion, uh, catechumens for baptism. Do you know how many people come up right now? More than 30. Do you know how many people did last year? More than 30. And that's because of you. That's because of you, your example, your invitation, and so on. I've invited a few of them, I'll tell you, but I know you have too. And that encourages me. The matter of encouragement that builds help in all of us. Think of your parents. The trouble you had in school, the trouble you had with the bully, the trouble with someone else, the thing you flunked. And you talk to your mother, you talk to your father, and they gave you courage to try again. And think of a teacher who takes a student where there isn't really much to offer, it would seem, to a secular eye. But they put hope into that kid and they make them capable of everything. And the kid gets an enormous prize and says, I owe everything to Miss So-and-so in fourth grade. Because she gave me hope, she let me know. She let me know who I could be what I could achieve and that one person made all the difference in my life and so does God and so Jesus Christ and God our Father have given us everlasting encouragement and good hope through their grace hope is the anchor of our lives as we picture it hope is our anchor and our encouragement and then encourage your hearts it continues the last part of that one verse 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good deed and every word. Love lets us know how much we can do. Love takes us out of ourselves where we were worried and getting scared. It takes us out into the world and toward other people. And as we talk to them, they encourage us and we encourage them and we make the world a better place. I had a wedding here at three o'clock yesterday. A wedding here at three o'clock yesterday. They, uh, they went to meet each other for the first time. They met at a coffee house, they each brought a book. The books each impressed the other. 
They were in a coffee house. We all know of the coffee houses of many hundred coffee houses of London in the time of Dr. Samuel Johnson. You know who he had at his, uh, at his, in the evening for coffee? He had people like Edward Gibbon who did the decline and fall, Edmund Burke, the famous philosopher, he had Oliver Goldsmith, the novelist, he had Joshua Reynolds, the painter, he had the head of the Bank of England, a sparkling company. Well, do you know what was sparklinger than that? The two people sitting over here at three o'clock yesterday, much like our lecture is very sparkling too. But those people began a family. And they began a family because they had a hope in a world that seemed devoid of interest in learning, where only half the population reads a book in a year. And I'm not sure they do more in other years. They arrived, each bearing a book. And they came for each other's company. And they came not to be utterly alone, but in a place for coffee where you meet other people. And by that love and meeting each other and lifting up hope, and then children eventually, which as we all know is God's promise of hope for the world, they will rebuild it. We all know people who don't have children, who in many ways are the greatest supports and pillars of our parishes. There are in many ways the really pillars of the place, and their calling is a very great one. So it isn't dependent on simply having whether or not one has children. It's dependent on someone being loving and having hope and having faith. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.